Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The disciples, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. Praising God in a loud voice, he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to praise God to accept uh, this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can remember your body and your blood that you sacrificed for our forgiveness today. Thank you that we can worship. Thank you that we can lift up the name that is above every name and that name of Jesus. Thank you that we can study your word. Come Holy Spirit, I ask that your anointing would flow through me now. Pray Lord that we would learn, that we would grow, that we would be receptive. May we be changed by your word and by your spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My title there is not very creative. Sorry. Stumbling, influence, forgiveness, gratitude. I was racking my brain and sharpening my pencil again and again, and I finally just settled on that. I thought, man, can't you think of a more interesting title? But uh, there's so much here, I thought I'd just try to hit the high points, okay, of what's here, and uh, hopefully the Holy Spirit will uh, 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 take it to your heart so that you can uh, see how it should be applied in your life. It says there in verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Okay, and then we see again at the end of verse 2, the word stumble, and then it ends at the beginning of verse 3, so watch yourselves. 
<clears throat> I thought a lot about this word stumbling uh, this past week, and it is a metaphor for the spiritual life, okay? All throughout scripture, you will see uh, words like uh, running, uh, a race, uh, pursuing something, following Jesus, uh, and then the, ap- the, the other side of that is you can do that or you can stumble. If you've been in church at any time at all, you've heard the word backsliding, okay? A person's following Jesus and they stumble and then they slide backwards, okay? Chuck Swindoll had a book many years ago that was entitled Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. Okay? It's a picture of following Jesus as opposed to stumbling and sliding backwards. Okay, So this is really a picture of our spiritual lives. And what it hinges on is the way we live our lives. Are we going to encourage people to follow Jesus? Or is the influence of our lives going to discourage people from following Jesus? Okay, Every one of us has influence. Okay, we live, we have contact with people, we live our lives, we go to work, we pay our bills, we uh, recreate or whatever. And every one of those steps, attitudes, words, actions, is an issue of influence on other people. So I think that's interesting that he ends that section with, so watch yourselves. Okay? Tim mentioned the issue of freedom uh, in his uh, communion uh, devotional. And we love our freedom. We love our choices. You know, what do I want to do? How do I want to live my life? Well, we should ask the question, if I go in this course of action, how is it going to affect someone else? Okay? Is someone going to stumble because of those actions? Okay? And it's being aware of other people, especially in the body of Christ, and bearing with others. Our actions, our influence, our attitudes has an impact on other people. And Jesus here apparently places a very high uh, uh, price, if you will, on this issue of your actions, your influence, and its effect on other people. The first blank on your outline there, stumbling blocks are part of the Christian life. What does Jesus say? Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Jesus is acknowledging that the world is a difficult place, okay? Things happen, people get hurt, okay? Stuff happens, people are abusive, all kinds of things happen in the ebb and flow of life. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. And it's like he throws this wide net over this broken, difficult world and said, stuff's going to happen. Okay? As they say, the poop is going to hit the fan. Okay? Stuff is going to happen in this difficult world that we live in. But then he gets very specific, and I could see Jesus throwing this broad net about what's stumbling and what's bound to come, and then getting very specific, and then burrowing in, if you will, on each one of those disciples and saying, woe to the person through which it comes. The responsibility that we have to live godly lives, to live Christ-like lives, to be an example, to influence others in our community and in our homes and in our workplaces is incredible. We do not want to be ones that cause others to stumble. We want to live lives that people say, you know, you're different. 
Everybody's mad in the, in, the, in the office today or in the workplace, but you're not mad. Why are you different? You are making me provoking my thoughts about why are you this way? What do you believe? Why do you have hope when everybody else is ticked off? What's going on? That is influencing somebody towards Jesus rather than being a stumbling block. You could look in Leviticus 26, 37, and see the issue of stumbling mentioned there. And I would encourage you to read that and check it out. Psalms 9.3 says a similar, uh, uses the same word. But I want you to see one of my favorite references to stumbling. Go to the back of uh, your Bible, okay? Uh, There's the book of Revelation. And then turn just before Revelation to a book that is so teeny, there's only one chapter. Okay, and I've listed there uh, Jude 24, and you say, well, Jude 24, what do you mean? Where's the chapter? Where's the verse? There's only one chapter, and verse 24 says this, and I love this. And many churches in some denominations will quote this verse at the end of a service. It's well said. Jude 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Isn't that great? That is Jude's prayer here. It's my prayer for you. I hope it's your prayer for me because we live in a world where things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. They will come. Your kids will graduate from high school and go out into the world and they will stumble. Just like when you left your parents' home and you went out into the world, sometimes you stumble. And do you know what? If you're surrounded by other believers, when you stumble, it can be an incredible moment to learn. People can go out into the world, cocksure themselves, they got all the answers, they got it all figured out, and they stumble, and suddenly they're going, wow, I guess I don't have it all figured out. Tell me where I went wrong. So that's what stumbling can be. But in this context, Jesus is saying, do not. Be that person that causes people to stumble. Broad net, things bound to come. And then I can see Jesus leaning into Peter and saying, but woe to that person. Why? Jesus is incredibly concerned and loving about people's spiritual growth. I was talking to Jen Thompson this past week in Awanas, and we were talking about our kids and child protection policy and and all the things. And I said, Jen, this is what I'm preaching on this Sunday. Okay, every time a kid comes through that door on Wednesday night, I look at that kid walking in there as an incredible gift that I'm going to honor. I'm going to love that kid. I'm going to radiate the love of Jesus to them. Some of them, I can't remember their names, but they walk in and this is what I do when I can't remember the name. How are you doing? And the kids go, wow, this guy's crazy. (laughs) But do you know what it conveys to them? that I value their presence here. And I acknowledge that they're here. And I tell them, I'm so glad you came. And I know that those kids say, wow, I want to come back. Somebody sees me, acknowledges me. Friends, if a kid ever got hurt in our church and water program, I would never forgive myself. And I would think of this verse, of the responsibility that we have to love kids, to give them a safe environment, and to point them to Jesus. 
I can't tell you how many times in the last 30 years as a pastor, people have told me that have been 60, 70, 80 years old. They had a bad experience in church and they never went back. May that not be said of the Berean church. Very serious matter. That we're influencing people towards Jesus, okay, that we're not influencing them away. Our actions, examples, and attitudes have influence on other people. And you have to ask the question in the privacy of your own heart, are you influencing people towards or away from Jesus? Okay? Are you always complaining? Are you negative? Okay? Are you grumpy? Are you squawking about politics? I'm just going to say this from love my heart. Shut up. (laughs) And I mean that. Shut up. If you can't say something kind, positive, grateful, positive, shut up. Your words have great power. If you can convey gratitude and thanksgiving in the middle of a difficult situation or whatever's going on, again, people are going to say, why are you the way you are? And it will give you an opportunity to share the gospel. Look at the second section. The first thing is about stumbling, okay, and being a positive example for others. The second section, okay, talks about forgiveness. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Forgiveness. This is where the rubber meets the road for every one of us. Why? We're all human. Other people hurt us, and we have hurt other people. And it is a universal axiom of the Christian life that we need grace, and we need to extend grace. Okay? We want grace for ourselves, but we want judgment for other people. Do you see the dichotomy there that's not right? God has forgiven you. Why don't you extend grace to other people? Forgiveness is a huge, huge issue for every one of us. Now, I've heard this over the years, and people will tell me, well, you know, I went to a church and this happened, so I don't go to church anymore. I just watch Charles Stanley on TV. Do you know what you are missing by excluding yourself from the community and the body of Christ? You're excluding the opportunities to learn how to forgive. I mean, come on. We all need to learn how to forgive. So I'm mad, so I'm going to sit at home and watch Charles Stanley on TV, okay? And I'm going to never learn how to forgive because I'm sitting at home thinking how wonderful I am and how foolish those people are over there at that church. So you never learn how to forgive. And you just sit around self-righteously being convincing yourself how righteous your motives are and how righteous you are and what a wonderful Christian you are. And those people, they're just this, this way. And you sit there and you know what happens? It gets worse and worse and worse. And your spiritual life becomes dull and dead and lifeless. And as you've heard me say, we take better care of our cars and our lawns and our refrigerators than our spiritual life. Friends, be adept at forgiving, extending forgiveness, Realizing you've received forgiveness from God and extend it to other people. Look at your outline there in the middle section. Forgiveness is central to life in community 
in the church. Hebrews chapter 10 says, neglect not the assembling of yourselves together. Okay? Be a part of the body of Christ. Be in a small group. Learn to forgive, okay? Crucial, crucial aspect of our spiritual life. We have received forgiveness and we must extend forgiveness. We must work at forgiveness daily and so feed our spiritual lives, okay? Look back at your text there for a moment. Look what it says. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. That's a rather strong statement, okay? I would encourage you to speak the truth in love. When I have to talk about something with someone that's difficult, I say, you know what? This is the way that I have failed, and I start the conversation with that first. This is where I'm deeply flawed, and can we talk about this, okay? You do it gentle, with grace, with love. You've been a recipient of forgiveness. Now you go and approach it in that way. Does the word if, if they repent mean if they don't repent? Okay, you don't have to forgive? No. That would be convenient, wouldn't it? It's talking about an overall issue of forgiveness that you live moment by moment, day by day, all the time. I've received grace, I'm going to extend grace, okay? Now let me throw this out, thorny, difficult issue, but what if someone is in an abusive relationship, okay, and the person is physically abusive or, or verbally abusive or whatever, and it just goes on and on and on, and you've asked the person and there's no change, okay? You might have to separate yourself, and I've had to say this to couples and sometimes to women in abusive situations, you might have to separate yourself from that situation for a while, okay? But as you have that time of separation and you hope for healing, okay, you've got to guard your heart and take every thought captive, as Paul says in Corinthians, and say, Lord, I'm going to live in the face of forgiveness even though I have momentarily separated from this situation at this time. Okay? Difficult situation, but at times that is required and necessary. Okay? You do not want to live with the forgiveness and stay there. I said to a person recently, I know you're going through this difficult situation, but if you don't forgive, you are swallowing battery acid and it will eat you alive. And I said to this individual, write it on a three by five card and put it in your pocket and on your refrigerator. Are you swallowing the battery acid today? Okay? Because if you do that, okay, it'll destroy your spiritual life and put you in a very barren, desolate place spiritually. The bottom line there in that second section, in contrast, an unforgiving attitude feeds bitterness. You know how many bitter people there are in the world? And bitterness leeches out of you and hurts other people. Okay, so stay in a place of grace, stay in a place of forgiveness. Look at the next section there in verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing and looking after the sheep. Okay, look at the blanks there. The master-servant relationship is unfamiliar to us. We have no idea what this is about because we live in America and we love our rights. We have no concept of a master and a servant. Okay. And allegiance and obedience and doing your duty. Okay? So Jesus gives this picture to remind people of the fact that he is the master and we are the servants. 
I don't think I like this. I want to be the master, and I want somebody else to be a servant. Okay? That's human nature. And we live in this world where there is such an intense degree of entitlement, my rights, you know, what I have coming to me, and on and on it goes, okay? So what does Jesus say? He pursues this farther. Will he say to the servant, when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready. Wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, uh, you may eat and drink. Does he say, oh, thank you, servant. Thank you, you've been... No, no. Look at the last verse, the last line. We are unworthy servants and we have only done our duty. Friends, we were a slave to sin and it was destroying our lives. All of us, before we came to Christ, sin was destroying our lives, destroying our relationships, destroying our peace of mind. It was a dead-end road to destruction and to hell. Jesus came, died in our place, and now we are a slave to Jesus. You've heard me say, folks, it's way better being a slave to Jesus. Way better. In the present and in eternity. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. I am here to obey my master and to follow him and to rejoice in him. And I can't wait to see him someday face to face and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. Thank you for taking my heart of stone and giving me a heart of flesh. Thank you for filling me with your spirit. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. Friends, this is the master that we serve, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I don't give him a list of things and saying, you know what, uh, let's have a little negotiation here, like a union boss. No, I just say, Jesus I'm yours. Now, do I have days when I say, you know, Lord, this situation really stinks? Yes. And I would encourage you to do the same thing because the Bible is full of examples of people that cried out to God in moments of desperation and said, God, I don't understand. Where are you? The Bible is full of that. Okay? Read the Psalms. Do not plug your mouth and just say, well, okay, I'm just going to go forward and, and silently suffer. Jesus wants to hear what you've been through and what you're struggling with and where you are. And it's all part of abiding in divine and walking with him, okay? And I would encourage you to do that. Look back at your outline, if you would there, please. The master-servant relationship is unfamiliar to us. Our generation has an entitlement mentality What's in it for me? How are my needs going to be met? How are my expectations going to be met? We all have expectations. I sit down with couples that want to get married, and I, and I ask them, what are your expectations of, of marriage? They can't even list them because they're just going, he's wonderful. He's my knight in shining armor. She's so beautiful. She just makes me feel happy. I'm not kidding you. They seriously can't come up with it because they're so googly-eyed. And I want to say, can you come back in a year when you've had some good fights? 
then we'll have something to talk about. Because right now, you guys are just in love zone number 59. Okay? Friends, we all have expectations of each other, of God, okay, of the church, of your pastor, of, of you know, America. Uh, on it, we got these expectations, and they are cataloged in your mind and probably go through your mind every day. And when your expectations are not met, you're grumpy. And I'll say again, stop. Stop. I was a slave to sin. Now I'm a slave to Jesus. And I'm going to live in a place of gratitude and thanksgiving. When you have those bad days, tell Jesus. Let him carry it. But then go back to saying, Jesus, you saved me. My sins are washed away. I'm going to do my duty and follow you and be a faithful soldier. Look at your outline there. We all have expectations. And the servant of Jesus fulfills his or her duty willingly. Look at the last section. We've got uh, uh, some lepers here. Okay. Look what it says in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border uh, between Samaria. This was probably the last few months of Jesus' life, making his way from Galilee in the north, south, down to Jerusalem. And he was going to go and die. Okay, so he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's traveling along this border area between Samaria and Galilee. Okay, we know that the Jews hated Samaritans. Okay, when the Babylonian captivity took place, okay, Nebuchadnezzar and all of them, they took them to uh, Babylon, okay, as slaves. There were some left behind, okay, some Jews, Hebrews left behind and they intermarried, okay, outside of their faith. And they came to be called Samaritans, okay? And they were hated by strict, uh, faithful Jews, okay? So Jesus doesn't care whether they're Samaritan or not, okay? He's going there to reveal the Father, and he's in this border area between Samaria and Galilee in the north. Verse 12, he's going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him, okay? So you've got a Samaritan, Okay, and you've got this outcast thing going on, and then you've got a leprosy, and so it's doubled now twice, okay? And then what does it say next? They stood at a distance, which lepers were required to do, according to Leviticus 14, and they call out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us, okay? And Jesus does what Jesus does. He has pity on their situation. He sees them, verse 14, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, going to the priest would imply that they might have been Hebrews. We don't know for sure. Okay, if they weren't a Hebrew, they wouldn't even know what are you talking about, okay? But the text is not totally clear, okay? Go show yourselves to the priest. As they went, they were cleansed. So they obeyed the master. They went. And in route to the priest... Their leprosy is cleansed. I love verse 15. One of them, interesting enough, only one, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Not a Jew, not an observant Hebrew. He's a Samaritan. He knew all about the Jewish rejection of the Samaritans, okay? Okay. 
and yet he's the only one that has gratitude for the healing. Look what it says in verse 17. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner, a Samaritan, an outcast, a loser, one that fits outside of your uh, circle of, of the in-group. Okay? The only one that came back. And see what it says. Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. As near as we can tell from the text, nine people were here physically, but no faith. We don't. It doesn't seem to imply that they got saved with a physical, with a spiritual rebirth, okay? But the one, okay, healed, comes back with gratitude, and Jesus acknowledged, your faith has made you well. The one had a physical healing and a spiritual rebirth. The nine had a physical healing, but no salvation, as near as we can tell. Friends, if you, God touches your body and makes you well, but you're not saved, you only have a temporary solution. Only a temporary solution. If God touches your body and you have faith in Christ, you have a temporary solution in the healing and an eternal solution in salvation. Look at your outline. Jesus crosses ethnic and cultural boundaries. Okay, as he always does. Jesus heals, second blank, Jesus heals 10 lepers, but only one's faith was revealed. Okay? And the last one, a physical healing is temporal, but faith brings eternal life. Would you turn your paper over? Worship team, can you come? Look at these questions. You can talk to them about them this afternoon. How do you influence others for Jesus? Number two, do you harbor unforgiveness towards anyone? Friends, every time I sit down in a counseling session, I raise this issue of forgiveness. And I sometimes tell people, would you ask the Holy Spirit to show you every time you've been hurt? Many times in our lives, and most of the time we don't even realize it, we carry around unforgiveness about things that we have been through. We don't even see it, okay? Many times it's from years and years ago, and it just becomes part of the lens through which we look at life. And if you ask the Holy Spirit to show you every time you've been hurt, God will answer that prayer. And a weight will lift off your shoulders. The person may be dead and gone but something regenerating by the power of the Holy Spirit will happen inside of you. Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root. And you could write this on your refrigerator. Are you drinking the battery acid today? Friends, don't. It's the stupidity of unforgiveness that you're angry about something someone else did to you and by your anger, you think you are hurting them. You are destroying yourself. You will pay the price. Turn them over to God. Say, God, you take care of this, okay, and walk in unforgiveness. Number three, are you living as a servant of Jesus Christ or a consumer of goods and services in middle-class America? 
Remember what Rick Warren said? It's not about you. It's about Jesus and serving him. Colossians 2, and write verse 6 there also. Okay, very important, overflowing with thankfulness. And number four, is it hard for you to have faith in the midst of conflict and hardship? Dear Lord Jesus, there's some strong words here in this passage. We can all learn something from it and apply it and help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.